Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. This on? Hello? Hello? We're all science people. Science! Exactly. Evolution does some pretty funky things. There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. The old question in science is how do you know that? Achievement equals skill times effort. That's the recipe for success. I'm about to show you something so cool it'll blow your mind. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Welcome, welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye. This is the show where science rules. It's a call-in show, and if you want to be on the show, and I hope you do, leave us a voicemail at 201-472-0785, or go to your homepage, which I'm sure is askbillnye.com. You can also check me out on all the social media that the kids use to find out about our upcoming guests. And today I am joined once again by science writer, editor, and seriously, people, dear friend, Corey S. Powell. Greetings, Corey. Oh, greetings, Bill. A pleasure as always to be here. And, you know, on this show, we talk all the time about the importance of taking action, getting involved, uh, as you like to say, using science to change the world for the better. Well, this is so cool. Today we have a lifelong activist with us and uh, a rather famous one, I might add. Yes, yes, my friends. Our guest today is Jane Fonda. She's an Oscar and Emmy-winning actress and a longtime political activist. She famously and infamously opposed the Vietnam War. She's fought for environmental causes and social justice. Last fall, she launched Fire Drill Fridays, described as weekly protests centered around civil disobedience demanding Congress pass the Green New Deal. And she has a new book called what Can I Do? My Path from Climate Despair to Action. Jane Fonda, Jane Fonda, welcome to Science Rules. You started out in political activism, that's how I describe it, and now you're into environmental activism. What happened? How did you make that transition? I've been active in a number of different movements, but I've always been aware of the environment. Since I grew up in Los Angeles starting in the late 30s, and then moved back here in the 70s, and I realized that something was really wrong. My son got asthma. You couldn't see the mountains around Los Angeles. Lifeguards near the runoffs were dying of cancer. All kinds of things were happening, and I, and I became an environmental activist. But it really wasn't until a year ago when I read a book uh, by Naomi Klein that I realized that the science is telling us that we have at most a year 
to turn this around if we want to avoid the catastrophe. And what the turning around means, we have to cut our fossil fuel emissions in half. Uh, you're, you're talking about the book uh, On Fire, the Naomi Klein Correct. book? Yes. The IPCC, International uh, Panel on, on Climate Change, says we have until 2030 to cut our fossil fuel emissions in half. That's an unprecedented undertake. But we can do it. It's just it's going to take a lot of people demanding that we do it, whether no matter who's elected in November. And um, so I, you know, I, will, I love this planet. I love everything about it. I have grandchildren and I don't want us to go past the tipping point. The thing about the Green New Deal, it includes a lot of uh, elements having to do with social justice. Like that is to say, not only environment, uh, addressing environmental issues and all that's going on with all the greenhouse gases we're pumping into the atmosphere and contaminating our water and the sea, le- the ocean getting bigger and rising, sea levels rising, not only all that, but to make the world more fair, that's a big part of the Green New Deal. Do you have a concern that trying to focus on social justice issues will keep us from reaching consensus or agreement or getting going on climate change? No, my main, Right. Is it, is it too much all at once? My, my concern is that if we don't do that, we will never turn this around in, ter- in, in terms of the climate crisis. It will not work unless the path towards a clean, sustainable future takes into account those parts of our planet where people have been the most vulnerable and the most damaged by the fossil fuel industry. Otherwise, it won't work. Why do you say that? Well, because it won't be supported. In order to achieve a cause, in order to win, you have to have 3.5% of the population. The United States, that's 11 million. We will never get 11 million people to support what needs to happen to stave off the climate crisis unless that is centered in justice. I guess this is one of the big questions. I mean, you've spent a life in activism, so you've spent a lot of time watching what works and what doesn't work and moving public opinion. Your feeling is that welding these two issues together, sort of environmental justice and economic justice, that that's the way to bring a big coalition along? Well, they are the same thing. You can't separate them. I mean, you know, us privileged white people, we experience the climate crisis after the, the, the air, the atmosphere warms and all of that happens. Most of the world experiences that every day where they live in terms of dying of cancer and, and heart diseases and asthma and lung diseases because of fo- the fossil fuel industry. They have deliberately put their infrastructures, their refineries, their incinerators, their wells, their fracking pits in communities all over the world that are of color, people of color, indigenous people, low-income people. And if we don't do something about that in the process of, of addressing climate crisis, it's, it, it can't work. And, and you know, look, fossil fuels are the bedrock of our economy. That's why this is so hard. They fueled our economy. If we change that and we do away with fossil fuels and we begin to cool off the climate, but people are still dying and suffering and being mistreated and workers are being paid like slaves and so forth, what have we done? We can't do one thing and then after the fact do the other. Well, this is the thing. In order to get people to support it, the world has to be made more fair. So is that what you're hoping to accomplish 
with fire drill Fridays? Yes. The first demand is cut fossil fuel emissions in half now before 2030 and then phase out all fossil fuels by 2050 and have with that a, a just transition so that the workers and communities that are impacted by the fossil fuel industry will have equally good family supporting, community supporting jobs. Th those were the demands. So can you talk a little bit about, about what the Fire Drill Fridays are, how that's how you're working to get people more involved in this issue? Uh, yeah, well, when we were in D.C., and we didn't know in the beginning if it was going to have any traction or not. I mean, some aging movie star comes bopping into D.C. and holds these action. And yeah, there'll be cameras and things, but was it going to work? And it, about a month into it, we realized that we had touched a nerve that was that was ready to be touched. People came from all over the country to join me and were willing to commit civil disobedience and, and risk arrest. You got arrested, has, right? Yeah, which has to become the new, the new norm. I wanted it to be a teach-in, so every Friday we focused on a different aspect of the climate crisis, forests, oceans, women, the military, jobs and a just transition, health, everything, we covered everything, and people really liked learning but the most important thing is that they liked being part of a community. So we were building a community and it was targeted to the people in the country who know there's a climate crisis, know it's caused by humans, but don't know what to do. You touched on something that, that really is, fascinates me and is of great importance. You said a, a, a movie star comes to town and organizes these protests. Is it a concern that it's it's polarizing, that people presume... Hollywood is separate from the rest of the world or that, uh, that you have nothing in common with the common person. How do you address that? Well, it was my concern going in, but it's not my concern anymore. Do you know that in uh, the month of July, we'll have a, over a million people watching Fire Drill Fridays? Last Friday, we had over 400,000 people watching. It keeps building. The same people keep coming back and more keep joining and thousands are volunteering. And it ain't because I'm an aging movie star, believe me. It's first people want to know what to do. People are worried. And they want to know what to do. You know, the uh, Anthony Lacerowitz says that there's something like 23 million people in the United States who care, but they don't know what to do. Nobody's asked them. 13 million would engage in civil disobedience, but nobody's ever asked them. I'm asking. I'm giving people things to do. I'm teaching them. I'm also talking about the relationship between the different movements the building of community. You know, we for the last 40 years, there's been a deliberate attempt to, to kill the notion of the public sphere, of the commons, of the collective. You know, collectivism has become a bad word, but people want to be part of a community. They want to belong to something bigger than them. And, and, and that's part of what we're building. And now it's with Greenpeace because we've become a project of Greenpeace, which is really great. And how, how did that relationship come about? Well, when I was, I was up in Big Sur when I had the idea to do this. And, you know, I knew that it was a little bit bold and in your face. So I called the person who is the head of Greenpeace, Annie Leonard, because I know Greenpeace is fearless. And I figured, well, they're the ones that could, you know, help me with this, tell me if it's a bad idea or, or help me with it. So I called Naomi Klein. I called Annie Leonard with Greenpeace, Bill McKibben, 350.org and Jay Halfama, an environmental lawyer. 
And we had a conference call and decided on what became Fire Drill Fridays. So this is where having a good Rolodex definitely helps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to me, this is at the heart of it. There's two things at the heart of it. Everybody's got to work together. And the notion that individual actions are all we need is a misconception. So along this line. Well, well, well Bill, this is a calling you, show. And we have a caller. You crystallized my thoughts, Corey. Crystallized. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's uh, roll that digital recording. Hi, my name is Kira. And my question is for Jane Fonda regarding climate change. Now, a lot of us are doing what we can. I personally have water bottles that I take with me everywhere. I refill our water. I go to an actual water store to get our water for, you know, a few weeks to a month. And I was wondering, what more can we really realistically be doing to make a, an actual change? And... It seems like we put a lot of blame on Americans, and we do have an effect as our consumerism pushes the climate differences in other countries as well as our recycling. Um, but do you think that these other countries have a responsibility to, you know, tell America, no, we won't take this, and we're going to put this in place, and, you know, that's going to cause changes with capitalism, but... What can we do and how do we make that change with other countries, regardless of if they're tied to us or not? Thanks. There's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot going but, on uh, there. But That's a wonderful please. question. And you're absolutely right. This is a global problem that is going to take a global solution. It's a collective problem that will take a collective solution, which is why community and collectivism is so important. But the fact is that the United States was, prior to the last decade or so, the main producer of carbon emissions into the atmosphere. We have a huge responsibility because we were the biggest emitter. And now we have, we have the most money, the most know-how, technological know-how, to be able to help other countries achieve their climate goals. We have to lead by example. We led by polluting. Now we have to lead by example and provide our know-how and our funding to try to help the rest of the country. But we can't do that unless we do it ourselves. We have to show the way. We have to be right. leader. Now, there's a second part of the question, that, which I'd love to hear your thoughts about. You know, this idea of like recycling your water bottles and, you know, these, these personal actions – you know, is that helpful in getting people in the right mindset or is it a distraction from the bigger goals? Those are very, very important because if you're trying to address the climate crisis and you're driving a gas guzzler and you let the water run for a long time and you eat a lot of meat, there's a disconnect there that's going to cause psychological problems. Um, so it just feels good to do the right thing as an individual. But the fact is that all of our individual acts cannot be scaled up in time to avert the climate crisis. This is a structural problem, and it requires structural. What do you mean uh, by structural? I mean, I think I know what you mean, but what do you mean by structural changes? Well, I mean, policies now are in favor of the fossil fuel industry and not in favor of the clean renewable energy sector. It means that the people who are responsible of, for, for creating our policies and rules are to a large extent indebted, paid for by the fossil fuel industry. It means the policies and the laws of this country that, and the things that undergird our economy have to change. 
those are structural. So how do you stay positive? You know what I mean? You just look at the, the overwhelming forces arrayed against us. How do you keep focused and don't get burned out or depressed? Yeah. Uh, first of all, it's better than the alternative, right? <laughs> um, and I, I wasn't born an optimist. I've, I've worked at it. What were you born? Were you born a miserable curmudgeon? I was. I was a miserable, <laughs> depressed curmudgeon. I come from a long line of depressed curmudgeons. But I have changed as an individual profoundly. And I have witnessed people change profoundly when confronted by a crisis, especially women, especially when it's a crisis that will harm their children and grandchildren. So I have a lot of hope in people's ability to rise to the occasion. That's one thing. Another thing is we've all seen how nature, given a chance, can come back. You said something really interesting. You said basically you trained yourself to be an optimist. How do you do that? Because I know there are a lot of people who read about all these issues or think about all these issues, and it just gets them down. How do you train yourself not to? They're not in the street. They're not. I mean, I've spent 50 years talking to people on auto lines and factories in Detroit and at Superfund sites and, you know, in Love Canal in New York. And I've, I've, I've talked to people on the ground who have faced great suffering and have risen to the occasion and change. You've got to get your hands dirty to be optimistic. Stick around for more Science Rules after this. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food service. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Science Rules is back. Do you have any, in your opinion, view about how the electorate, how people who vote are younger, the cohort of voters is younger, so it's likely that they'll support more progressive policies. Have you noticed that? Do you feel that? Well, a lot of our speakers were, were young people, and you, you, it's easy to understand why young people have been leading the climate movement uh, for a long time. It's because they see their future being taken from them, and they're frightened and they're angry. But uh, Bill and Cora, the main people who came were older women. What do we have to lose? We have nothing to lose. We tend to get more uppity when, when we're older. It's a hormonal thing, for one thing. We are more tied into the planet. We bear the brunt of the climate crisis. We are the last to be rescued after major climate events. 
We, are, we make up the majority of climate refugees. We carry more fossil fuel poisons in the body and our body fat, and we have more body fat than men do. Uh, our children receive it through our breast milk, but also, especially in the global South, we tend to be the ones that come up with the solutions, whether it's um, forcing our, our governments in Africa to stop plastic bags or to, to stop a, an oil well or whatever. We're at the forefront, women are. And, you know, you say, how come you're hopeful? A million plus people watching Fire Drill Fridays online why wouldn't I be hopeful? So here's, uh, here's a question that has vexed me for decades. The science of climate change is overwhelming. The voting public, uh, 23 million people at least in the U.S. alone, are concerned about climate, wringing their hands about what to do. Why haven't we been able to turn the corner? Well, there's, it's, it's really clear. Look who is our president. Look who is our Senate. We have somebody that is totally in the pockets of the fossil fuel industry and all his enablers in the Senate are as well. You know, they're not giving um, help, any financial help anymore to workers, to frontline workers, um, but they're giving it to the fossil fuel industry. That's the problem. We have the know-how. We have the numbers. We have everything we need, except we don't have the politics. We don't have the politicians. Yeah, I have said for decades, the fossil fuel industry is the problem because they have introduced this idea that uh, scientific uncertainty, plus or minus such and such percent, is the same as plus or minus 100 <laughs> percent. doubt about the whole thing. So how did you get involved? What's your connection to the science of climate change when you're going to make arguments, so let's say, to leaders? about this? I read books and I read articles and magazines about the science. And, you know, it was, to be perfectly honest, 16-year-old Greta Thunberg, the Swedish student, who really more than anything made me realize that we have to pay attention to the science. And while a lot of people are saying, well, there's two sides to the story, you know, oh, it's like it's crazy. They don't all agree, but now we know 97% of the science say, said the same thing. We have till 2030 to cut our fossil fuel emissions in half. So about making change, political change, you and many of us use the expression, you had some demands, demands associated with making the world more fair, demands having to do with the Green New Deal. When we or somebody makes demands does that make compromise more difficult? Is that holding us back, our inability to compromise with the grand old party, for example? Yeah. Well, I mean, you always have to be open to moving things forward uh, and, and to the possibility of, of compromise. But in the case of the climate crisis, we have to come back to the science there's no compromising with science. You're a scientist. You know this better than anybody. You can't compromise. If the heating passes a certain level, that's it. So do you think with this COVID crisis, do you see a way to engage people in science more directly? That is to say, Absolutely. if we're going to live through this, you're going to need a vaccine and that's not going to come from yeah. The sky is yeah. going to come from science. Yeah, please. Yes, there's some important things that have happened because of the COVID crisis, along with the tragedy 
That is, I think, the recognition on the part of a whole lot of people of the importance of science, of expertise. You have to pay attention to the experts. That's one thing. Another thing that's very important that relates to the climate crisis is because of the pandemic, we're realizing the importance of a strong federal government. For any crisis, be it climate or a pandemic, you have to have a strong federal government. Well, so what if one county in Florida lets you go to the beach and the other county doesn't? I mean, what's what's the worst that could happen? Well, here, I, Dude, I'm going to suggest one more thing, though. We are also seeing the economic consequences of inaction or of, of ill-informed action. That's an area where the fossil fuel industry has been very effective in sort of presenting this picture that taking action on against climate change is going to be economically painful and economically costly, but we're seeing the cost of, of inaction right now. Is that something that you feel like, can you work that side of it as well? Yeah, when the legislature, when the elected officials say, oh my God, to do what you're saying is going to cost so much money. Inaction costs over $400 billion. You know, not doing something is very costly. But the third thing that the pandemic is showing us is the level of inequality in this country yeah. that a lot of people weren't really aware of. So all of those things are an important move forward on the part of the majority of Americans, and they, and they are down to the uh, benefit of the climate crisis, seeing the inequality, seeing the importance of government, and seeing the importance of science. So along this line, Corey and I talk about these things uh, quite a bit. We talk about energy. We uh, were kooky for very hot fusion. We have all these kooky ideas. All right. It, it may very well be, or it certainly looks as though, in the coming years, we're going to have, humankind is going to have to actively remove carbon dioxide and maybe methane from the atmosphere, like throw energy at the problem. And so certainly the more electricity we can supply to more people in the world that is clean or nominally clean. It's carbon-free, at least. Carbon-free, the better. Now, one of your landmark roles was in the China Syndrome, and that was just hell of a movie. What is your feeling now on nuclear power? We have it. I think it provides 20% of our electricity right now. I think that as we move to a, a clean and renewable future with, with the electric grid and everything, then we have to start closing down the nuclear power plants. And there are, in my mind, two main reasons. One is we have never figured out what to do with the waste, and it's the most unforgiving technology in the world. But secondly is the matter of water. We are facing globally a major water crisis that's connected to the climate crisis. Billions of people don't have clean water to either wash themselves in or to drink. And even in this country, there are cities that don't have clean water for large numbers of people. We're losing our clean water. The production of nuclear energy uses vast amounts of water as does fracking, which is a reason why, one reason why that one is not a good solution. Um, it not only uses a lot of water, nuclear energy does, but it pollutes water. Do you know the Solutions Project, Jane? Uh, no. These are guys and gals at Stanford who've done an analysis. They claim that you could run the whole place renewably right now if you just decided to do it. And one of the ideas that they promote is keep the nuclear power plants that we have running right now 
until we can replace them. But mm -hmm. just trying to build a new nuclear power plant takes at least 15 years, just getting the licenses and getting all the supply chain in place. And, and still, no one has a reasonable or rather politically acceptable idea of what to do with the waste. Uh, with that digression, I believe, Corey, Jane, we have a voicemail. Can we roll that digital recording? Hey, Bill, I have a question about climate change. So if we were to implement green policies, to make the earth better. How long do you think it would take for all countries to implement that sort of structure to make the earth a better place? In other words, how long do you think it'll take, Jane? Right. If the US yeah. What do we leaving? need to do and how quickly can we do it? It's, it's really cutting to the chase here. Well, well, I mean, again, let's go back to what the scientists tell us, what the uh, International um, Panel on Climate Change scientists say. And that is that we can make it work, and I'm just talking about the United States, if we cut our carbon emissions in half by 2030 and invested enormously into a smart grid and clean and sustainable energy sectors, and then we started phasing out all the rest of the fossil fuel infrastructures by mid-century, we would make it, it would work. And we, we, we have the technology to do that. And I've read a number of economists and scientists who very detailed what it will cost and how that cost will be offset. And, you know, even just right now, we need huge amounts of money to, to confront the climate crisis. The bills that are coming forward to deal with the COVID crisis, that money could do both at once. It could put tens of thousands of people to work right away in making this country more climate resilient. And instead of giving money to the fossil fuel industry, which Trump is doing, that money could go into solar panels and windmills and electric cars and, and car charging stations and, and so forth. And the people to build this stuff. The people, these would be jobs that are dom inherently domestic. You can't build a new power line in another country and import it to the U.S. It's got to be built right here where we use it. And yeah, so and pipelines are pipelines. There's nothing inherently wrong with pipelines. Let's take all those guys, they're mostly guys, out of the man camps on the Indian reservations and in poor communities and train them to do the pipelines in Flint, Michigan and Detroit, Michigan and New Jersey and the place where people, we, our water infrastructure is disastrous. So this you gets know, into your big idea, I think, which is this idea of community. If yeah. everybody felt that we were in this together, the way, as my understanding, the way people felt during World War II, that this had to be solved, this was a global crisis, then I think everybody would get on board. And that's part of your, your big picture argument, right? You know, when uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt with the Great Depression, where millions of people were really starving, uh, we've, we've seen photographs of the food lines and so forth, that people were desperate. And people were demanding jobs and they were demanding many, many programs and Roosevelt said to them, I agree with you. Now go out and make me do it. That's key. We have to make them do it. And people did. Now, there were some people, you know, farmers and others who didn't like Roosevelt and didn't like what he was talking about and felt that it was communistic or socialistic. 
So he was very smart. He started his programs in areas where people didn't agree, you know, rural areas, for example. And because it really helped people put food on the table. Now, your parents lived through that era, right? Yeah. And my dad, of course, made a movie about that era called Grapes of Wrath. You know, and he almost starved living with Jimmy Stewart and eating rice for months on end. That was all they had. But Roosevelt did it right. And that's why they call it the Green New Deal. And it's smart to have the words New Deal in it. And, you know, there's many Green New Deals. It doesn't have to be just one particular model. It's a foundation. It's a vision for how to move forward. And and it's a way to bring everybody under the tent. If you were in charge, where would you focus let's one program uh, that you would place someplace? Where oh, would you put I it? go into Kentucky and Virginia where all those miners are suffering so bad. You know, you want to see what an example of a not just transition. They're dying of black lung. They're suffering so much. And they cut off all their the coal industry, cut off their you know, their, their health insurance and they, they're not helping them at all. Let's get green jobs there. Let's put those people to work. Let's go into the rust belt and train all those former factory workers to get back at it because there's so much manufacturing that needs to be done. That's where I'd start. There you go. In uh, Appalachia. The other thing that's happening along with climate change and the global pandemic, is, writ large, Black Lives Matter protests or social justice protests. Do you compare Fire Drill Fridays with that? Do you tie it together? Yeah, I do. And that's one of the things that we've been doing with Fire Drill Fridays. You know, just to start off, the mentality that founded this country, the mentality that human beings could be turned into chattel, into slaves, and rendered inhuman so that we could continue calling ourselves a democracy. If slaves were human, then we couldn't be a democracy because all people wouldn't be free and equal. The same mentality that clear-cut the forests to turn them into monocrops and send smallpox-infected blankets into Indian reservations, this is the mentality that drives the fossil fuel industry. So here's the thing. Fire Drill Fridays, raising awareness, creating a community. Is it accomplishing this vision of getting everybody together or is it driving us apart like so many other things? I think that the movement for Black Lives and Fire Drill Friday and Greenpeace and 350.org and the Sunrise Movement and all of them are bringing people together in unprecedented numbers. And that's what we need, unprecedented numbers of people that eventually will be in the streets when we can do that again and by the millions. And we're going to have to do that because this isn't going away on its own. We have to be able to, that's why I say civil disobedience has to become the new norm. It's the only way that history has changed is people in the streets doing things to break laws that are bad laws. That's what we have to do. To that point, the, uh, I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement and a lot of the, the current movement for justice is very focused on urban issues. A lot of what you've been talking about is, you know, is dealing with, you know, these rural crises how can this environmental movement, the Fire Drill Fridays movement and the Greenpeace movement, how can these really 
tap into the energy of these urban communities that often you know, see a different set of concerns as their most pressing things that they're worried about. God, Corey, I wish that I could bring you to Wilmington, Los Angeles. I wish I could bring you to the Kern County, to the communities of Black and Latino people who are dying from cancer and heart disease and lung diseases because of the fossil fuel industry. Again, to go back to the Yale Climate Project up under the leadership of Tony Lacerowitz, Latinx people globally care more about the climate than any other demographic. Second, Black people care more about the environment than any other people, and then white people. Well, what makes you say that? Because there's definitely a perception that that's not true, especially. In I know, areas. and it's a wrong perception. And that's why we very intentionally, and when we were in D.C. and even now uh, online, virtually, we make a point to have our, our speakers are primarily people of color because people of, of color are the ones that are being impacted by the fossil fuel industry and that they, they care the most. Science Rules will be right back. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You're listening to Science Rules. If you are queen of the forest, you're in charge, is there something you would do? Instead of fighting the fight the way we're actually fighting it, if you didn't have to, if you could magic wandically change things, what, what would it be? All right. I would make sure that no new permit for fossil fuel or fracking was ever signed. You know, I'm thinking right now of Governor Gavin Newsom, the liberal. He keeps signing permits for oil wells and fracking pits. That has to stop. So I would stop that would never happen again. Number two, all of the oil wells that are harming people's health, that are in people's backyards or schools or they're next to churches, these would be closed down. And I would put fossil fuel workers to work it creates jobs remediating these wells. And they're all over California and Texas. And, you know, we're the main oil producing states in the United States. People don't realize, you know, if you talk to people around the U.S. and Canada, California is an enormous oil producing state. And the oil that California produces is worse. It's more dirty oil than the Alberta tar sands oil because they're dredging the bottom now. And I cannot understand why both Gavin Newsom and Jerry Brown before him cannot stand up to the fossil fuel industry. I don't get it. My big thing, and let me ask you about this, is voting. We've got to vote. Do you do anything to help register voters or tell people get a chance to vote? Fire Drill Fridays now has thousands of people who've signed up. And here's what we're doing. We are, and it's incredible technologically what we can know now about 
who has been purged from the polls, who hasn't, blah, blah, blah. We are re-registering people who've been purged from the polls. How do you do well. that? How do you, how do you all do that? I don't know because I don't do it, but I get people <laughs> to volunteer. That's the best way to do it is to get other people <laughs> to, to do it. And we have thousands of people texting and calling and writing postcards to get people registered to send postcards to 10 other people. It's called relational voting. That each person gets 10 other people to, to register and vote. We have a special cohort of Spanish-speaking people who do this in Latino communities because that is a really critical, especially given how much they care about the climate. That's a critical demographic. So we are working really hard between now and November 3rd, Bill. We are going balls out to get people registered and voting. We're getting out. I was hoping at this by this time this year, we would have finished Grace and Frankie. And that with Annie Leonard and I, we'd be touring the country, getting out the climate vote. So we're doing it digitally and it's working. God. Sounds Bill, there's there's thunder going like on thunder. this podcast. And if there's thunder, that means it's time for the lightning round. If you could give up your fame and influence and spend the rest of your life doing a normal job, what would that be? I'd want to be an organizer. Oh, you'd want to do what you do from the yeah. ground up. Cool. There right. you go. Uh, is there a field of science you wish you knew more about? Biology. All right. There you go. Biology, life science people. Do you have a proudest accomplishment? Uh, Fire Grill Friday. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. It's still still building. And if you're interested in joining, text Jane at 877-877. That's Jane at 877-877. There you go. That's what we need, everybody, is everyone participating. Do you have a memorable moment or experience as an activist? As an activist? Yes. Yeah. Isn't it great that at my advanced age, all of my best things are now? I was going to point that out. I really, no kidding. It's not just a joke. I was just thinking that. I was going to say how everything you talk about in this interview is about what's now and what's next. Yeah. I think my 82nd birthday at Fire Drill, I wanted to celebrate it in jail, but they refused to put me in jail, although they could have because my other friends who were eligible were put in jail. Why wouldn't they put you in jail? Those are my tax I dollars. Know. I think it was because it would have attracted too much media attention. But at that Fire Drill Friday, dig this, there was Reverend B- William Barber III, Gloria Steinem, Dolores Huerta, Ijen Poo. Heather McTeer, the leaders of so many major non-climate organizations were all there together on behalf of the climate. That was my happiest moment and my best birthday. You've done a lot of interviews, I imagine, over the years. Is there a question you wish somebody had asked you? No. They've all been asked. There's nothing that hasn't been asked. (laughs) You really, you live without regrets. I'm I'm impressed. (laughs) Is there something that nobody knows about you? In my guest bathroom, there is a copy of the U.S. Constitution and the Kama Sutra. All right. Wow. In the same bathroom. Wow. That's that's an intellectual and athletic uh, approach. (laughs) That is just cool. 
Jane, thank you so much. Thank you so much for talking about your work with Fire Drill Fridays. Everybody, our guest today is Jane Fonda, the Jane Fonda, and her new book is called What Can I Do? My Path from Climate Despair to Action. It's fantastic. Now, everybody, remember, when it comes to sparking a fire for real change, science science rules. rules. Take it, Jane. Science does rule, and I'm so grateful to you both for putting science front and center. Oh, thank you. Now, everybody out there, if you're like Jane and you like science rules, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out, helps other people learn about the show, helps us know what you want to hear. So thank you. Be sure to check out my socials for more information about any upcoming guests, which we have several of. And I'm at Bill Nye on everything. Meanwhile, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, give us a call at 201-472-0785, 201-472-0785, or submit a question to askbillnye.com. Science Rules is produced by Harry Huggins and hey. Corey S. Powell. Casey Halford mixed this episode and composed our original theme. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer at Stitcher. And at Stitcher, everyone, science Science rules. rules. Stitcher. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at WalmartPlus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.